This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you, guys. Well, we have been uh, walking through the Gospel of Luke really since the beginning of the year, and, and it all culminates today. Today is the, the finale as we look at the resurrection of Jesus. So turn to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and um, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you, if you don't have a Bible, there's some available to you in the back of the pew in front of you, and it's on page 884. Page 884 is where we'll be if you're using one of the Bibles from the pew. Um, but look at Luke 24. We're talking about an open door that has been provided for each one of us through the resurrection of Jesus. And so I'm going to be reading um, from a part of Luke 24. What I want you to do, though, is keep your Bibles open the whole time that I'm preaching because we're going to be looking at many scriptures that you'll see a few on the screen, but, but most of them are, are not going to be on screen. You'll need to look down at your Bibles as we walk through the 24th chapter of, of Luke, and it'll be easy for you to, to follow along. So Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at, at scriptures really throughout this, this chapter this morning, but I want us to read here at the beginning the first six verses. So follow along uh, as I read. The Bible says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come today on this, this pinnacle day of our, our faith as Christian believers, because we know that without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no faith. Any faith that we have would just be worthless. But because Jesus was raised, it means that new life is possible right here, right in the here and now. It means that that new life is possible through Christ, and it means that e eternal life has been provided through Christ. And so it puts everything else in, in life in perspective. And so, Lord, whatever we bring into this service, whatever burdens that we're carrying right now, whatever anxieties that we brought into this service, whatever challenges that we face when we leave here today, Lord, we, we know that what trumps everything is that Jesus is alive. And he is Lord. And we can know him. And we can experience forgiveness of sins. And a brand new start that a door has been opened. 
into life abundant and life eternal. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. In these next few minutes, Lord, would you encounter us through your word and the power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor and author Tim Keller says this about the resurrection of Jesus. Keller says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? Because if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, it would mean that he was not really the Son of God, and it would mean that he did not really atone for our sins on the cross. But what we're going to be talking about this morning is that not only did he rise, but that his resurrection has opened a door to life for each one of us. And so what we're going to see in in Luke 24 is really a series of openings. We're going to look at three openings this morning. If you want to take notes, we have it provided for you uh, in your bulletin. You can kind of fill in the blanks and follow along. The first opening that we see is this. The tomb was opened. The tomb was, was opened. So let's check out uh, verse 1 here in chapter 24. So just uh, follow along in your, in your open Bible. Verse 1, the Bible says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. So these women come and they're bringing spices to the tomb. And the reason that they're bringing spices is because in that culture, you would put spices on a dead body. Now these women were among the most faithful, devoted followers of Jesus, but even they aren't expecting a resurrection. They're coming to the tomb expecting to find a dead body, and they're going to place these spices on the body. But then they get to the tomb, and what happens? Let's keep following along, beginning in in verse 2. It says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. So as these women approach the tomb on that first Easter morning, they see that, first of all, the stone has been rolled away. And like, that's odd. And then they walk into the tomb. It would have been like a cave. And so they, they walk into the tomb. There's no body there. Now, we saw at the end of chapter 23 that these women had carefully seen where the body of Jesus was placed. So they know they're in the right place, but the body is missing. Now, we know from the other Gospels that even at that point, they're not expecting resurrection. They're not thinking that Jesus is risen They're concerned that perhaps his body has been tampered with or or stolen, that there's been some foul play. Suddenly, two guys appear to them. 
and they're not ordinary guys. <laughs> it says that they, they were wearing the dazzling clothes. Uh, the New International Version says their clothes gleamed like lightning. And these women knew that they were in the presence of the supernatural. They were in the presence of holiness. And these men are angels. And so they were terrified. And it says that they bowed to the ground. And then at the end of verse 5, we see that the angels have a question. And the question is this. Look at verse 5. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You ever had the experience of, of looking for something in the wrong place? You know, like a wallet. And, you know, it's gone missing and you think, oh, maybe I left it in the car. And so you go out to the car and you know, think maybe, maybe it kind of slipped out of my pocket. It kind of fell in that crease between the, you know, the, the, the console and the, and the seat. And so you, you get down low on, on your knees and maybe you've got your phone light or a flashlight and you shine it underneath the seat. And that can be really revealing, right? And some of the stuff we find. There's an old french fry there, you know, or maybe some change or uh, maybe a bottle of water is rolled rolled under there but no wallet you go back inside and you're kind of you know mentally retracing your steps oh, I sat down on the couch and so you know you're pulling pulling cushions off the couch which can also be really revealing but again no wallet and then you think well maybe I left it maybe I just left it in my clothes in a pocket or something and so you know you go into the the closet and you're kind of like patting down you know, you're frisking your empty clothes or hanging if I sound like I'm speaking from personal experience this is all like really real but you're patting down your clothes kind of like airport security and kind of frisking through there and still you don't feel anything and then in distress you just kind of you walk into the kitchen and you look over on the table <laughs> there's your wallet oh yeah when I came in I got a phone call and I was taking stuff out of my pockets and I put it where I don't usually put it we we can look in the wrong places but but even more seriously we can look for love and meaning and fulfillment satisfaction in all the wrong places. And we come up empty because we find out that money and the material things of this world and sex and power and position and prestige that, that none of these things can satisfy our souls. Only the risen Christ can do that. And the angels keep talking here, don't they? Look at verse 6 and following. It, the angels say to these women, He is not here, but He is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. You see, Jesus, Jesus had said these things to them. He had told them that this was going to happen. But you know, when Jesus talked about being raised, 
it was kind of like they just sort of screened that out. Because that didn't fit with sort of their presuppositions. It didn't fit with their worldview or with any of their assumptions. And so when they heard Jesus talk about resurrection, they just kind of screened that out. Oh, maybe he's speaking symbolically. Maybe he's speaking metaphorically. You know, we have to be careful because we can do the same thing. We can do that with our Bibles. We come across something in the Bible that doesn't fit our assumptions, our preconceptions, or maybe something in the Bible that we really don't want to hear, and we can screen it out. And be careful. And so the first thing that we see here in chapter 24 was that the tomb was opened. The second thing we see is that the scriptures were opened. The scriptures were opened. So let me kind of tell you what's going on here. Catch up a little bit. So after the scene at the tomb with these women, chapter 24 tells us that there were two people that were walking down the road to Emmaus. So Emmaus was a little town about seven miles from Jerusalem. And so these two people are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they were both followers of Jesus. They were both people that had put all of their hope in him, and so they were crushed because they had thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but then he was crucified. And they're like, hey, Messiahs don't get crucified, let alone by the Romans. And so they were walking along devastated. And then suddenly as they walk, there's another walker <laughs> that comes up beside them. Look in your Bibles at, at verse 15. The Bible says, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. What if, what if you could walk with Jesus? Not just for a mile or two, but what if, what if you could walk through life with Jesus? What if you didn't have to do life alone? What if you could do it with him? Well, if that could happen, then you, know, you would be doing life with the one who has all power and authority, as we just sung earlier, because he's the risen one. He's the risen king. You'd be walking with, you'd be doing life with the one who possesses all authority, all power, and you'd be walking with the one who loves you the way that no one else can love you. And the way that he demonstrated that love is that he died for you. He died for your sins on a cross. Well, that can happen. <laughs> you can walk with him. And he yearns to walk with you. So why are you doing life alone? Why are you living as if he doesn't exist, as if he hasn't risen? Jesus yearns to walk with us. And so the text tells us here that Jesus 
comes up beside them. And we've seen in this series again and again, we've seen the sense of humor <laughs> that Jesus has. And so Jesus is walking along beside them, and Jesus is like, what you talking about? <laughs> and one of them named Cleopas says to Jesus, he says, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard of the things that have been happening? And Jesus says, what things? And then we pick it up in verse 19. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel besides all this it's the third day since these things happened moreover some women from our group astounded us they arrived early at the tomb and when they didn't find his body they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Now note that even after they have heard the testimony of these women who had gone to an empty tomb and who had, had been spoken to by these angels who told them that Jesus had risen, that these women had gone and they had reported that. These people on the road to Emmaus have heard that, but they still don't believe. That they're talking about, well, these women, they had a, a, a vision of angels. And now it's time for Jesus to speak. Beginning in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus has been, has been taking a walk with them, but now he's going to take another walk with them. He is going to walk them through the scriptures. And he's going to show them how all of the scriptures had prophesied that it was going to play out just like this, that the Messiah was going to die for sinners and then rise again. And then the, the Bible tells us that that Jesus sat down and he ate with them and their eyes were opened and they knew who he was. And then later on as they reflected on this, the Bible says in verse 32, look at verse 32, they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. You know, that can happen in our lives today because the Bible is not like any other book. And so if we will take up our Bibles and, and, and read our Bibles with, with a prayerful, open heart, and ask God to speak to us. Ask him to encounter us. If we approach our Bibles that way, 
then we will find our hearts burning, burning within us as the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the scriptures, through God's word. And you know what? The Bible tells us that that we should do that not just kind of in our own individual lives, but, but the Bible tells us over and over that, that we should study it with other people. That's, that's, why, we, that's why we're doing what we do today and, and every Sunday here is that we, we walk through the scriptures. And so we need a church family where the Bible is preached not just where we're, you know, kind of we, a trendy topic or whatever is chosen and maybe there's a verse or two thrown in to kind of maybe, you know, make a point or something. But no, where we actually do Bible study. Where we're kind of walking through the scriptures. Walking through books of the Bible so that we can understand what it really means in context. And, it, and it's when the, the, the word of God is, is opened up and we, we begin to understand what God is saying to us that our hearts burn within us. And so we, we need God's word kind of in settings like this. You know, we also need it in smaller group settings. It, a smaller setting where you know brothers and sisters are, can, are, are there with open Bibles and open hearts and, and we can help one another along. And we can, can share insights and, and talk about how, to, how, how we've seen God's word applied and, and things like that. And, and we, we help one another in those smaller group settings. You see, the church should be like a fellowship of burning hearts. as the scriptures were opened. So the tomb was opened. The scriptures were opened. Third, their minds were opened. Their minds were opened. Let's get down to verse 45. Verse 45. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, let's kind of set the, the, the context here, here again. Imagine chapter 24 is sort of like a three-act play. And so act one is at the tomb. Act two is on the road to Emmaus. Act three is in a room in Jerusalem where the, the disciples have, have gathered. And so they're all gathered there by this point the 11 remaining disciples uh, have heard uh, the testimony of the women from the tomb. They've heard the testimony of the, of the two from the road, uh, on the road to Emmaus. They've come back and told them. They've heard from, from Peter and John. And yet they're still skeptical. And we know that because of what happens next. Look at verses 36 and 37. It says, as they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. (laughs) Their reaction was not, it's Jesus, but it's a ghost. But ghosts don't have physical bodies, right? So what does Jesus say 
beginning in verse 38. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. Now notice here that Jesus wants to make it crystal clear that he has been raised physically, bodily, that he is not some you know, spiritual avatar or apparition, but, but he has been raised with a real flesh and blood body. Now this emphasis on the physicality of Jesus it really goes all the way back to the beginning of the Gospels. Because the Gospel writers are very careful to stress when Jesus was born in Bethlehem that he was... He was 100% God, yes, but he was also 100% man. That, that God was embodied. We sung these words earlier, and it's from the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14, where the Bible says that the Word became, what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. And so, the physicality of Jesus is stressed in his incarnation, it's stressed in his crucifixion, that's his real body that was nailed to the tree, and, and now it's stressed in his resurrection, that, that this, is a, this is a real flesh and blood, he has been raised bodily, physically from the dead. Now, why is that so important? Because it's a sign of hope that when Jesus comes again and those who know him are going to be raised, that we are going to be raised with physical bodies transform glorified bodies. See, the, the resurrected body of Jesus was completely physical, but it was transformed. It was glorified. It was a body that would no longer be subject to death. And 1 John 3, 2 says that when he appears, when he comes again, that we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That means that when Jesus comes again, the bodies that we're going to have are going to be like his. They are going to be physical and yet imperishable. No longer subject to cancer cells or dementia, or any disease, that we're going to have resurrected, glorified bodies. See, because Jesus offers not just a consolation, but a resurrection. 
But, you know, many people believe that kind of the, the ultimate thing that the Bible talks about is, is going to heaven. Well, as glorious as that is, and it is glorious, but it's not the ultimate thing. Because the ultimate thing is not just kind of, you know, leaving this earth and going to, and, 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 and going to heaven in a, in spiritually. No, the message of scripture, the ultimate thing, is that heaven has come down to earth. That, that heaven and all of its power has come to us. God became a human being. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and lived the perfect life in a real body that we could never live. And then on the cross took all of the poison of our sin on himself, in his body. And then rose from the dead in a real physical glorified body. And that is our future as well. That is what is in store for every believer. And so his redemption is going to be complete. Right? Death will have no victory. None whatsoever. No matter what we went through in this earth, in these, in these fragile, perishable bodies that we live in. No matter what happened in, through d- disease or injury or the, the aging process or, or, or whatever. Everything is going to be completely restored. Completely restored. Redeemed. In fact, the, the Bible says that the whole creation is going to be redeemed. No more dysfunction. No more sin. No more killing. No more bombing, bombings and bullets. So we should pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. Many of whom were, were massacred as they sought to worship on, on Easter Sunday. No more of that. No more. No more death, no more tears, no more sin. Everything is going to be redeemed as we will live with Jesus in a new heaven and earth with glorified bodies and everything has come together. Total redemption. You know, I th- we've heard that word redemption more in the past couple of weeks, maybe, than ever, especially if you follow sports at all. You've heard, you've heard the word redemption, right, in the past couple of weeks. First of all, there was UVA winning the national championship after the worst humiliation last year, the first time that a number one seed had ever been defeated by a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament, and they lost by 20 points, and it was just so humiliating. This, the team came back this year and won it all, won it all in incredible fashion and just incredible, miraculous victory after victory after victory. And the cover of Sports Illustrated proclaims, redeemed. And if that wasn't enough, Tiger Woods wins the Masters. I guess SI figured they didn't need any words for that, right? Everybody knows the story. I mean, this guy had, he had, he had lost some of it through his own 
his own uh, faults, but had lost his, he'd lost his marriage. He had, he had lost his reputation. He, and then he lost his game, lost his golf game. And then he lost his health. And people said, he's done. He's done. Stop winning another major tournament. And he wins the Masters. And we love comeback stories, don't we? We love comeback stories. Why do we love comeback stories so much? Why do we love stories of redemption? It's because we all know what it's like to fail. We all know what it's like to make a mess of things. We all know what it's like to fall on our faces. We all know what it's like to be down. And we, we yearn to believe that there can be a comeback. We, we, yearn, we yearn to believe that, that we can experience redemption. And what have I told you that, that God himself came to redeem us by becoming one of us and then dying for us so that we can live and rising so that we can rise. Oh, that's the, that's the ultimate comeback story. Jesus came back from the dead. And one day he's coming back again to make all things new. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we thank you so much for your amazing love. Lord, we didn't do anything to deserve you sending your son to die for us and to rise for us. It was all grace. It was just sheer, amazing grace. And so, Lord, we, we just thank you. We thank you, and we, we thank you that you offer us this, this gift, abundant life and eternal life, really as a free gift if we'll just receive it, if we'll just walk through that, that open door. And as we just kind of bow in prayer for a few moments, you know, I would just ask you to re- spend some time reflecting before God. You know, I, I don't know where, where you are and, and, your, um, and your spiritual journey, but I know this. I know that I know that God loves sinners so much that he came to us and that Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live and that, that Jesus atoned for the sins of all who will, will trust in him and that he, he rose from the dead. And if you will turn to him today in, in repentance and faith, Say, Lord Jesus, I, I believe. I turn to you. I turn from trying to do life in my own, in my own power and strength. I, I turn from uh, just my, from my from sin and self and trying to live life. It's all about me. And Lord, I turn to you. And I receive you into my, my life. You are my, my savior and my king. If you'll turn to him and trust him today, he will not turn you away. There's an open door to new life and eternal life if you'll walk through it. 
And so, Father, we thank you. We pray that you would just work in all of our lives right now. Lord, you know exactly what our needs are, exactly the areas in our lives that you desire to work. And, Lord, we pray that you would have your way in each one of us right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.